0: war on the remnant church of prophecy it's not an easy subject to speak about but the context of this sermon needs to be placed in one of the latest attacks on god's remnant people it's a very scholarly attack it has disturbed a number of adventists and in every church there are people that are affected by the arguments that are being presented and so let us ask the lord specially to impress us with the right idea lord may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be fully acceptable in your sight, our Lord, is Savior and Redeemer. Amen. Satan's final war, Revelation 12 verse 17, it was read to us very nicely about the war against God's remnant and what are the characteristics of God's remnant? They that keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus. And specifically, I will address the attack on the testimony of Jesus. Now the question is, how should God's people prepare themselves? It's not just knowing about the attacks, knowing the arguments and how to defeat it, but how to prepare. And I have seen throughout my life that many people are not prepared. and they're just games for the Satan. But the Bible is the answer to it. Second Chronicles 20 verse 20 shows you a conflict between God's people and some of their neighbors who wanted to destroy Israel. And their king, Jehoshabeth, stood and said, "Hear me. believe in the Lord, your God, and you shall be established. Believe His prophets, and you shall prosper." <laughs> now do you want to be defeated, or will you want to prosper? If you want to prosper, believe in God and his prophets. And there is a conflict. Who are God's, God's prophets and who are the critics? And this battle has been going on since the very beginning of our church. And this morning I like especially to study the great controversy against the eternal movement. Uh, explained in the book Revelation chapter 10. And if you take your Bible and look at chapter 10, we will come back over and over again. I deal with a few verses and then I give some explanation in regard to the fulfillment. And so we are studying now the rise of the Advent movement and Satan's war. Now, how do we understand Revelation chapter 10? We have to look at the principles of interpreting the prophecy. If we don't know the principles, we are lost. Now, first of all, what is the book of Revelation about? And you will never understand the book of Revelation unless you understand the book of Daniel. And when we began our studies in the book of Daniel, one of our participants says, "You know, why do we do this? Let us go immediately to Revelation and the seven churches and the seals and the trumpets and all those kind of things." But I said, "You know, why not start at the beginning and understand the book of Daniel because that's absolutely crucial." And so, therefore, what is the book of Revelation about? And if you study the book of Daniel, you understand that the book of Revelation deals from beginning to the end with the fourth beast of Daniel chapter 7. Not the first three, the lion, the leopard, the bear, no. The dragon-like beast. What is it? It is the beast Of Rome, both pagan and papal. And the book of Revelation gives you the scenario what God has done with this beast. And if you don't have that in mind, you get confused. Understand Revelation 10, after the seven churches, the seven seals, and the seven trumpets. Unless you understand those things, you don't get the message of Revelation chapter 10. What is the setting of Revelation 10? It comes at the end of the series of trumpets. And just before you go into chapter 10, it deals with the sixth trumpet, Revelation chapter 9. Now what is that trumpet about? It is fulfilled in 1840 with the current surrender of the Turkish forces in the Europe uh, uh, to the European forces. Now, who knows today? You know, a couple of hundred years later, how important it is. But the newspapers at the time were full of the final conflict between the Ottoman Empire and the West. And Ellen White actually says, the spirit of prophecy calls the events in the 1840s a remarkable fulfillment of prophecy. And if you understand this, you understand why God started to rise up the Advent movement. It's in Great Controversy, page 334. So let us now look here at... Revelation chapter 10 chapter 10 First one and two. it says, "Here I still saw another angel, mighty angel coming down from heaven, closed in a cloud and a rainbow was on his head and his face was like the sun and his feet like a pillar of fire." Now, where do we see the angel earlier in the book of Revelation? Here we see the angel. It's a mighty angel. How it the rainbow was on his head, face like a sun, feet like pillars of fire. Where do we see this earlier? Chapter one. And who is this angel there? It's Jesus. He comes to the forefront and he walks. And where does he walk? In the first apartment of the heavenly sanctuary. Among the candlesticks. They are symbols of the seven churches. And so, from that understanding, we know that the mighty angel, that is in chapter 10 is no one less than Jesus Christ. Now didn't you think that Jesus Christ was working in heaven in the heavenly sanctuary? Yes, he is. But in this point in the 1900s, Jesus specially came to planet Earth to do what? To raise up God's remnant. There was a special event there. And in verse 2, what do we read here? Okay, so in Revelation 1, verse 10 to 16, we see then that the angel is Jesus, and we know now that Jesus came. And in Revelation 10, verse 2. Here is a message. And what it says, he had a little book, and it was open, not closed. And he set his right foot on the sea. And his left foot on the land. Now, is there a page in the Bible where you see an open and closed book? Yes, Daniel, chapter twelve, verse four, reveals Daniel, and Daniel is to be opened when in the time of the end. So, is it very important for us to know that? Oh yes, Jesus reveals it, and so. The book that is sealed, that is closed in the book of Daniel, is now opened in where? In the book of Revelation. And so unless we understand the close association with Daniel Revelation, we miss the point. And how is his position there? His right foot on the land and the sea. So what does it indicate? That's most important. It indicates the geographical expansion here of this message. It is a message of worldwide impact in the time of the end. And so if you know from the book of Daniel, chapter 7, that the time of the end came on time times and a half a time, that is in 1798. And since 1798, the book of Daniel is opened. And only God's people understand now what this means. I say it is the rise of the Edward movement. And I we explain here that this chapter fulfills beautifully the opening of this book. The second Edward Movement. Now let us look here. About the general understanding of Daniel or Revelation chapter 10, and I present here the general Protestant view on Daniel 8:14, the 2300-year period. And it was specifically in the beginning of the 19th century that every Protestant church was studying this book. What does it mean? Because in the late 1800s, it was clear. That the time time and half a time was the deadly wound against the papacy. And so when that was understood, the attention of the churches was shifted from Daniel seven to Daniel 8. Now what did that mean? Here you see the twenty three hundred years. The beginning was 457 op four fifty three. It's approximately because there were many people that studied this. The first seventy years or the four hundred and ninety years was from AD thirty three to AD thirty-seven. And the twenty three hundred years ended in eighteen forty three to eighteen forty-seven. That was the ballpark of hundred non-Adventist, millerite Protestant commentators. So we're all in the same ballpark. Every church has some kind of an opinion of how to interpret this. Now the question is, what is the right interpretation? You had about ten major interpretations by the Protestant churches on Daniel 8:14 and the cleansing of the sanctuary, and of course only one interpretation can be correct. So what did? The scholars, the ministers, the commentators think about Daniel 8:14. One group of commentators says it is the beginning of the millennium, so the beginning of the thousand years of peace. Now today, hundreds of years later, were they correct? No. <laughs> we haven't seen even two world wars, and we're still fighting all over. The fall and destruction of Mohammedanism, the Islam. Was that correct? No. no. Ah, people say is the cleansing of Jerusalem from the Muslims. They're being kicked out. And the Jews go back. The re-establishment and conversion of the Jews in Palestine. Incorrect. But at that time it sounded logical. The cleansing of the church from anti Christian abominations. <laughs> still heresies enough. The cleansing of the church from all impurities. Did we have a pure church at that time? No. The purging of the church from all papal influences, papal, papacy will disappear? No, not at all. The reestablishment of the true worship of God? No. Christ cleanses the earth with the fire in the final judgment. And then Daniel 8:14 was explained in the context of the first angel's message, Revelation 14, verse 7. And what says that fear God, give glory to him. Why? For his hour of judgment. And so if you see that Daniel 8:14 is a kind of a judgment scene, and Daniel and uh, Revelation 14, verse 7, it all fits together. Now we come out of the group. That had this last point. But still they were not correct. But of all the interpretations, it still seemed to be the most correct. So, what is now the present truth Adventist message of the 1830s and 1840s, our forefathers? What did the Millerites and Father Miller and the Adventists believe at that time as present truth? At the end of the 2300 prophetic days of Daniel 8:14, Christ would cleanse the sanctuary of or earth, because they saw the sanctuary of the earth. During the final judgment, at the start of the millennium. And so that was the present truth. But at the same time, they said, in order to be prepared, what do you have to do, repent. For Christ, our Savior, comes to judge the world in the mid-1840's. Yes, that is important. So it was a repentance. If you want to be prepared for this, you have to repent. Christ, our Savior, comes. And so Daniel 8:14 became the judgment, our message of Revelation 14, verse 7. And what does it mean? Of all the interpretations, it is the most serious because there is no second chance. You know, today, many Christian churches believe there is a second chance after the rapture. But what does the Bible say? There is no second chance when Christ comes. You may think, you know, I think it is a very comfortable interpretation. You know, that there is a second chance. So if Christ disappears or Christ Even if you don't see him, there's a second chance. Very nice, very nice. But according to the early Adventists, no. No second chance. And so many people didn't like that. Many people want to have a second chance. And so here you get the proclamation of the first angel's message with power. And what was the effect of that the Adventist message? Throughout the world, because it was a worldwide message. It was seen in Europe, in Africa, in every mission station, in North and South America. It says here in Great Controversy page 400 and 401, Of all the great religious movements since the days of the apostles, and that's about two thousand years, none have been more from human imperfection and the wiles of Satan. Then was that of the autumn of 1844. Now, today, if you read the newscasts and some of the things, they accuse the Adventists of a fanatical movement. They thought that Christ would come and whatever. We are all excused with all kinds of things. But the servant of the Lord says there was no human imperfection. Very serious. No fanaticism. Yeah, fanaticism came after 1844 but not during the time and so the fulfillment then of revelation 10 verse 3 and 8 and 10 revelation 10 verse 3 what does it talk about the proclamation of the adventist was what with a loud voice you see the connection with the first angel with a loud voice Loudly, and that is the worldwide significance. But then later on in this chapter, verse eight to ten, it says that John had to eat the book, and the eating of the book. What 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 is the result? A sweet and bitter experience. You see it in your Bible. So if Jesus came to establish the Advent movement, then that movement in the last days should be a joyful and a sad experience. You see? That's what it says. Now what is the eating of a book? If you compare scripture with scripture, we go to Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 1 through 3. Now what do we read there? Moreover, he said to me, "Son of man, eat that thou findest, eat the scroll, and go and speak unto the house of Israel. And so Ezekiel opened my mouth and he caused me to eat the scroll. And he said to me, "Son of man, cause thy belly to eat and fill thy bowls, with this roll that I give thee, then I did eat, and it was in my mouth as honey for sweetness. See, kind of a repeat from Ezekiel's experience. Yes, and in Jeremiah again, Jeremiah have to eat it also, and it is nice and sweet. So what does it mean then, the sweetness, the eating? It means getting involved. In the Word of God. Eat it, digest it, study it, compare scripture with Scripture. And so the message brings the sweetness and joy. And why do you think of sweetness and joy? What was so joyful? What do you think? What happened to the advent movement? Was it joyful? Why? It focuses on Jesus. Oh, he could uh, as judge, now that is not nice. Ha! Huh. It's nice, not nice for those who are not prepared. But if you are prepared, it's joyful. You're ready. And that was the mission of Miller and the early Adventists. Prepare, prepare, prepare. What did the Adventists expect in 1844? Bruce Snow set. Christ our high priest would come out of the most holy place or heaven to earth to perform the final judgment. You know, many Christians today believe that when Christ went to heaven he went to the sanctuary, but there was not a literal sanctuary, it was a whole heaven is a sanctuary. And so whole heaven is the most holy place. See, that is what they believe. We don't. but. We shifted our understanding because we were disappointed. And if you are disappointed about an interpretation and it doesn't come out, what do you have to do? Restudy and restudy. And so this did not come through. And so the reaction out to the first angel's message, before 1844, an eyewitness report, says this, The preaching of definite time calls forth great opposition from all classes, from the minister in the pulpit down to the most reckless heaven-daring sinner. Early writings, pages 233 and 234. You know, people had no difficulties if he preached from Jesus comes. But a specific time. The end of the 23rd, nah, we can't buy that. And so they rejected whole scale this. The Protestant churches then began to persecute the Adventists. Now the Adventists were in the various churches. There were many, many churches, and the Adventists were scattered all over. And so the religious leaders rejected the first angel's message and persecuted the Adventists. How did they do it? They objected to ministers. To members attending the Ellen preaching, for example, Ellen White, and her family were kicked out of the church, the Methodist church. Why? They liked Miller's preaching. They believed the exposition of the scriptures, and they went into their own church and said, "You know, see what we discovered." And said, "Oh, you can't do it. He is a heretic." And they said, "Okay, explain then why he is a heretic." No, 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 Miller is enough. Get out. And without looking at the church business meeting, they were kicked out. They were not even invited to attend a defend. They disfellowship those believing advent teachings. They misinterpreted Daniel 8 to 8. The 2300 days were days, not years. Falsehoods were circulated to injure their influence, and at times, angry mobs tried to kill the Advent preachers. At times, eyewitnesses wrote down that after William Miller left the pulpit, the people wanted to kill him. But, she says, angels protected him and without any difficulty he disappeared. James White was preaching sermons and the windows in the summer were opened and people threw tomatoes and eggs through the window at James White for preaching the eternal message. Friends, they knew our pioneers what is persecution. So what was our reaction? What was the this reaction? They started to proclaim the second angel's message. They shifted the attention from the first because the first was not accepted, and then God's mind directed them to the second angel's message. The message of the second angel's message, rejection of the first angel's message, directed attention to the second angel's message. The call Babylon is fallen is fallen, she made all nations drink of the wine of the fornication. And the fornication in biblical terms are false doctrines, compromising with the truth. And so they called upon the Protestant churches, come out, come out, because you teach false doctrines. And they did not. And of course, then we see the great disappointment. And all the predictions at the end of the 23rd days did not fulfill. What about all the other churches and their interpretation? Did they come true? No. So, oh, also the Millerite explanation didn't come through, it didn't work out. And so they had to restudy this. And now we get the light and blessings of the disappointment. Because God gave them new insights as a result of the further studies. But who had now the light? If Ellen White is the gift of prophecy, testimony of Jesus, why not Jesus using her? It's okay, you know you have the prophetic gift. Here is the explanation. No. God did not do this. But nevertheless, see, he, he's using the gift of prophecy to give direction. That is how you have to feel, to search. And Ellen White in 1846 had a vision that helped our people very much. She wrote, the Lord shows me a vision more than one year ago that Brother Crozier had a true light on the cleansing of the sanctuary, etc. And it was his will that Brother C should write out the view which he gave to us in the Daystar extra, February 7, 1846. And I feel fully authorized by the Lord to recommend that extra to every saint. A word to the little flock, 1847. So that is what how the Lord helped. Hey, look at this, look at this. Because Crozier and Hiram Edson and brother Dr. Um, Hahn had studies now for over a year dealing with the disappointment. And what does it mean? And here is the publication: The Daystar. It's an een... Uh, you know it, it, it is about 10 pages, and that explains now what happened at the end of the 2300 days. I wonder how many of us have read that light. Can I see hands? I see one hand. Uh, you know, I mean, I think it would be helpful for some of you to find out what is this light, you know? If it is cut as it is light for the last days, we may as well find out what was the end of the 230 days. Don't you think so? Yeah. So here you have assignment. As a professor, I give you assignment. <laughs> this is what you have to do. You know, it's interesting here. People would complain of this article if it would appear today in the review. Why? People say you know, it is too heavy, and we need to have stories, stories, stories. But not Bible text. Bible text. Bible text. In this article, you find hundreds of Bible texts, mm-hmm. and that's heavy, heavy. And so, what did Brother Crozier and Edson come to the conclusion of? Light of the sanctuary. The result of the study of the earthly sanctuary, the sanctuary of Daniel eight fourteen. Is this not the earth, but it is the sanctuary in the time of the end. And the sanctuary of the time of the end is not the earth, but what is the sanctuary in time of the end? Where is that? In heaven. See? Christ's ministry in this is the antitype of the ministries of Melchizedek and Aaron in the book of Hebrews. So if you want to understand fully what this sanctuary is in Daniel 8, 14, you have to understand the book of Hebrews. If you don't, you will never understand this. And it is a beautiful thing. Ellen White says, you know, you have to compare scripture with scripture. And that is how you grow. Close your true light. Like in the earthly sanctuary, Christ's ministry has two phases. In a two-apartment heavenly sanctuary. You know what Moses did? He made here the model of the sanctuary, and what was the real one in heaven. So, for, by study of the earthly sanctuary, you can understand the heavenly sanctuary. If you don't do this, you will never understand it. So, really, if you want to have been a wool Adventist, you have to study those things, not simply sit in the audience and say, "Ah, that was a nice sermon." Excellent sermon. I follow this evangelist. I follow. The, no, you follow Jesus in His Word. Are you not with me? That's what we have to do. If we want to grow, this is the only way to grow. If we don't, we are swept away by the attacks of Satan. The heavenly sanctuary must be cleansed. That's what the Book of Hebrews tells us. And Christ performs the antitypical Day of Atonement as the second and last phase. And that began in 1844. That's beautiful insight. Fulfillment now of Revelation 10, verse 9 to Wat What is the eating of the book? It leads to a sweet and bitter experience. The message of sweetness and joy by focusing on Jesus' coming. Ended in a traumatic disappointment. But the disappointment became because not every little detail of Daniel 8 we understood correctly. See? And so yet the disappointment produces the prophetic remnant. We are the result of the disappointment. But we didn't stay with the disappointment because through our Bible studies we found the answer. Revelation 10:11. What does it say there? What does your Bible say? Thou Prophesy what? Prophecy again. So after the disappointment, those that survived had again to prophesy again. And what was the subject of their renewed prophecy? The remnant mission to proclaim the new worldwide prophetic messengers. And so in the next chapter you find the focus of the message. Revelation 11 verse 1 and 2. And what does it talk about? It talks about the new present truth and the focus is on what? The temple of of God and the worshippers there, God's people. Because God's people are the ones who worship in the heavenly sanctuary. And if you don't understand this heavenly sanctuary, you miss the whole boat. So here in a beautiful way, it shows them that after the disappointment, the specific message that will help God's people is the sanctuary message. You see? Just ask your Protestant friends, About what Jesus is doing today, and they have hardly any understanding of it. They have no understanding. The newly discovered truth of the heavenly sanctuary will measure God's people on earth and prepare them for the final crisis in the day of the Lord. See, it was the sanctuary that gave us a lot of new insights. That none of the other churches have, and why don't the churches not have? Because they rejected the first angel's message. As you can see here, how important the three angels' messages are. And now, as a result of the new insights, the present truth. What is it again? It is repent, 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 and accept the crucified Christ and His righteousness. Because his righteousness will justify and sanctify us. Now you say, you know, yeah, that is tough subjects. Tough subjects. You know, the early Adventist produces a magazine for the young people. You know what it is called? The Youth Instructor. And in the Youth Instructor every issue Ellen Light had an Whole article. And you know, this article was not, not full of interesting stories. Yeah. <laughs> it was Christ's righteousness. How to obtain Christ's righteousness. How to be sanctified. How to be justified. Do our young people know this? The connection with the justification, sanctification of the righteousness. Do they know it? Are they familiar? This is what we have to share with the rest of the world. In fact, you know that scheme of the 2300 days? Ellen White says, this is so simple that even a 10-year-old can explain this. Mm. Now, what about the young people today in our churches? Are they able to do that? I'm afraid not. Oh, yeah, our people, we are concerned about the young people and by all their activities and whatever, but are our young people enthusiastic about prophecy maybe our leaders will be able to uh, make the young people to get excited about us light of the sanctuary gives us our mandate of mission the sanctuary light the sanctuary sheds light on our present and future mission here it is the subject of the sanctuary was the key which unlocked the mystery of the disappointment of 1844 it opens to view a complete system of truth connected and harmonious showing that God's hand had directed the great At movement and revealing present duty as it brought to light the position and work of his people so unless you understand the sanctuary you don't know how God is guiding us and if you don't know how God is guiding us, we don't know our position and work. So you can see here how vitally important it is. And perhaps because we don't understand the sanctuary in its fullness, we don't go out and share it. Light from the sanctuary illuminated the past, the present and the future. See so that we know that we are God's special movement, called theam Church. And here in the Bible, you find the evidences. In the sanctuary, you find the evidences. Isn't God a merciful God that he gives us all this insight? Friends, but Satan is not quiet. He attacks our churches through the non-Adventist churches. A total rejection of the Advent movement. Very, very sad. In the beginning he attacks the true adventist because they are a fanatical cult or sect. Adventists are an example of prophetic speculation about the end of the world. They rejected the historical or historicist Protestant reformation view of prophecy and accepted the Jesuit Counter-reformation, higher critical interpretation of the prophecies of Daniel Revelation, which is basically futurism and preterism. You look and go into the library, you look at all the commentaries, and it is either preterist or futurist. What we believe is that God gave to the prophets the view of prophecy that started in the days of the prophet and continues. Every generation. Got more light than one light until we are today, but the Catholics have said no because that view focuses on the Pope and therefore the prophecies are either fulfilled in the past, prettism, or in the future, futurism. And so that is what you find now throughout the world: a confused Protestantism that has lost the mission. And therefore they can say the protest the protest is over. But it is not over. As long as there are seventy Adventists, it is not over. As well as 70 Adventists who are prepared to witness. And when I talks about that we are being called for counsels and judgments and all kinds of things. Do we know how to present our message? That keep the mouth of the Scholars closed, and so what did God do? What did Christ now do? How did Christ defend us, God's people? How did Christ defend the remnant following the disappointment? The testimony of Jesus came now through the spirit of prophecy. In every Christ crisis situation, God has His prophets you believe that? And so here then, manifestation of the prophetic gift among the remnant. Here it is, a fulfillment of last day prophecy. Joel 2, verse 28 to 32. Revelation 12, verse 17, that talks about the testimony of Jesus. And chapter 19, verse 10, shows you that the testimony of Jesus is from the prophets. The prophetic gifts. And so we don't need to be ashamed or don't need to speak about this and feel uncomfortable because the prophetic gift is fraudulent. Now, how are we going to protect ourselves? What is the mission of the prophetic gift? To comfort believers after the 1844 disappointment and to confirm the newly discovered biblical doctrines through divine revelation. You see, so in other words, all the new insights that we received came through Bible study of our pioneers. How was the spirit of prophecy being used? Given vision to confirm. To confirm what we had discovered from the Bible studies. See? So all our doctrines are based on solid Bible studies. But the Lord was merciful. And confirmed this through the prophets, when he came up and said, "Yeah, you know the end of Daniel eight 14, It's because Jesus moved from the one apartment to the other apartment, and everybody started to laugh. Yes, that is the that, that is the, how the Adventists how Adventists explain things. Says it's, it's in heaven, but who checks it? At that time, the Lord gave visions to Ellen White. About the movements of Jesus from the one apartment to the other apartment. But only after we have discovered this from the study of the word. See? So we can trust those things. We are not left hanging, but God gave the affirmation of those things. Here is that mighty cry vision confirmed the Advent movement. And the Advent people were moving on this path. And that path led them to heaven. What were the lights? The light behind the ancient people were the midnight cry. The midnight cry that was explained the vision of 1844, Daniel 8:14. And so you need to walk in the prophetic message, not give up. But at the same time, you have to look before you. And who is that that guides us? Jesus. So both the prophetic message and Jesus continues to guide us to heaven, and if we leave the sight of Jesus, we follow this path. If we leave the prophetic message, we follow this path. And so you can see here that those people who follow this path has either rejected 1844 and Daniel 14, or. Don't focus on Christ and His righteousness. They focus on their own righteousness. But you know, if I look at my righteousness, it's nothing. Our righteousness in Christ Jesus is not what I can do, but what Christ can do through me. Many of now believe that you have to sin until the end of time. Yes, without Jesus, you will sin till the end of time. But with Jesus, you will have the victory till the very end. You believe that? We are not sad Adventists that bemoan that we are Adventists. No, we are victorious Adventists that praise the Lord for the light He has given. And so this is now, with. And so therefore we know then that the 1844 midnight cry is of God, and the Adventist movement. Is a fulfillment of prophecy, and you don't need to leave the Adventist movement because it is the foolish things you can do. So the great uh, controversy against the Advent movement, Satan's attack on Ellen White. Satan's witnesses during her life, immediately after 1844, by Adventist fanatics. It were the fanatics that accused Ellen White. Around 1860 to 1863 about church organization, when we felt we need to be organized. And and, and the fanatics said, no, then we become Babylon and they attack Ellen White also. Around 1874 and 1888, there were attacks on our writings and about plagiarism. Elder Kenwright, John Harvey Kellogg's, all of those individuals. They are witnesses with her and they had all the charges. Elder Bellinger, and his this sanctuary views, and then after her death, Satan continues. Robert Binnsmead, Dr. Ronald Numbers, Dr. Desmond Ford. It's all scholars, you know. There's not dummies, No. And Dr. Steve Bailey, Daly. And so, how? What are we going to do? They witness of what they have seen and heard and Ellen White. does See, the issue here about Ellen White is an issue about trust. Trust. Whose testimony do you believe? She has her testimony. The scholars have their testimony. Ellen White or that of the critics? They're completely opposite. And so you need to. Now, is that you know, we have to be honest and let us just take the middle of the road. You have thesis, synthesis, we have to, the middle of the road. So we take a little of Ellen White and tell of, of no friends, it's either black or white here. Every accusation by her critics, she has denied and explained. I just wrote a little letter about a certain lady who came with all kinds of accusations. And whatever. said, no, it is false, it is false, it is false. But you have to believe either me or the critics. Mm-hmm. There it is. Do you accept her defense or not? Do they make sense or are they credible? Her claims that she is God's prophet to the remnant stands or falls with your acceptance of her testimony, the testimony of Jesus. That's it. I tell you, I me mean, when I became a Seventh-day Adventist, I didn't even know about the fact that we had a prophet. No, I had simply with the, the fundamental beliefs, I had to affirm that she's a writer of inspirational literature. I mean, Luther is inspirational literature, Calvin, you know. So I had no difficulty in confirming that she was an inspirational writer. But what did I do? I had given up my career aeronautical engineer. I joined a sect. I better find out. And right there, I started book after book after book. Reading, starting with early writings, and then some of the testimonies or whatever. And friend, it didn't take me long to come to the conclusion that this is not a fraud. The impact that it made on my life was incredible. And I continue to read and to read and to read, and anybody that says she is a fraud hasn't read them, or has read them through satanic eyes. Because everything that I have experienced, the education of our children, my marriage, my career in theology, whatever, everything has been guided by her. And I can see, praise the Lord! Was it not for her testimony? I was not supposed to stay here. And so friends, I can encourage each one of you to do this. And so keep in mind how to prepare for Satan's delusions. Read Ellen White's personal experiences with providence in guiding the Advent movement. Unless you read it yourself, you don't have faith. But if you have any question about her, do this, read early writings. Life sketches of Ellen White till 1881. The Ellen White's biography by Arthur White, six volumes with the providential testimonies. And finally, Ellen White and the critics by F.D. Nickel. And about 90% of the critics that we have today and the arguments are explained there. So friends, we started out with Second Chronicles 20 verse 20. Believe his prophets, and you shall prosper. Friends, I hope and pray that if you have any questions about this gift, don't put it aside, but start reading and studying. And call upon the Holy Spirit to guide you and to enlighten you. If you do the same, then you will have a similar experience as I. Walking with the Lord... And may God bless each one of you through this. Who would make a commitment to follow this light? Can I see your hands? Okay. And if you have any questions, remember, commit yourself to follow those lights. May you see the hands of those who... Praise the Lord. Because not one of you should miss the sea of glass in the book of Revelation. And I will meet you there, each one of you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you have seen the hands of those who made decisions to follow the truth as it is in Jesus and to follow the testimony of Jesus. Thank you so much, Father, for this light that you have given us and you want to rescue us from the Satan and may we be prepared fully for this. And Father, Send especially Your Holy Spirit to those who have any questions about His gift. And may they be honestly finding the light, the prophetic light behind us, and the light of Jesus before us. In Jesus' name and for His sake. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more.